Quick disclaimer, although what we say is evidence and literature-based, we don't know your personal details and situation. Therefore, make sure you're discussing these things with your doctor. Welcome to the CPR for Life podcast. I am Sagar Doshi, boarded and practicing lifestyle medicine physician and emergency medicine physician, joined by Zach Moses, boarded and practicing emergency physician and practicing lifestyle medicine physician. All right, Zach, welcome back. I think we're still doing our series on connection. We had a really good meeting last time with Megna that went up. Lots of good tips there. But I wanted to take a moment and just cover the nuts and bolts on more of a how-to on forming connection. Yeah, because right now, I think we've covered the importance. We've covered some specifics on connecting with partners. But this whole thing is kind of nebulous. We just say connection. So I just wanted to cover some more concrete steps. And the way this comes out to me is a way of figuring it out is either through the outside in or through the inside out on forming it. And just to drive home how necessary this is, I remember the story while working at a big 900-bed hospital during residency and having this elderly man come in who had, I assume, no connection because he came in there for something fixable. We fixed it kind of quickly, and then there was nothing wrong with him. No reason to stay in the hospital, but he was he had enjoyed his meals, he had enjoyed talking with people, and had insisted on staying. And he started whipping out fists of cash and offering it to people to <laughs> just let him be admitted to the hospital. Really unexpected. Didn't know how to handle that, but he didn't get to stay just because he was trying to bribe everyone. <laughs> but it was really sad because he was going back to his house, and I don't know what condition he was in or what state of loneliness he was in tried to give him some resources yeah i always feel bad for people because we have that sometimes where the people who just come in for you know what it amounts to be either they're making up stories about their symptoms or whatever we see all you know the gamut in the er and when you stop and think about their lives must be pretty poor if they're you know the the goal of the day is to find a way to get admitted to the hospital for for you know there's not something going on with them. I always think about how sad their life must be outside the hospital, and how how frustrated that must be for them. So yeah, that's 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 kind of sad. And just goes to show he had resources, right? But he had enough money, so it mm-hmm. wasn't that he didn't have money. It wasn't a thing of poverty. It was just for whatever reason he was disconnected from society. So how do we work with that? If we're gonna go mm-hmm. with the outside in, which I think can be easier a lot of times, because then you don't have to do any kind of self-analysis that most people have never done, or at least have avoided. It's more of a focus on service, just like we were talking with Magna last week, service to your partner in a way that they understand. But this is just kind of service, finding somebody that needs metaphorical feeding and feeding them, volunteering at this thing or that thing. And you know you need to do that when you start feeling lonely. Loneliness is really just that sense of a need that needs to be filled, like when you get hungry, when you get thirsty, go fill that need. And it's kind of counterintuitive for people that have been lonely for a while to say, I'm hurting. I feel like I need help. You want me to go out and go help somebody else? Mm-hmm. And yes, the answer is yes. That is what I want you to do. <laughs> because it produces pleasure in the mind. It gives you that helper's high. It gives people meaning, gives people purpose. And you can pay attention to the people that are around you. If you can tune into what they need without letting them step on you, uh, it puts you in a better place to actually form those connections. There was this cool intervention done 
by this physician, Lisa Fried, in Baltimore through Johns Hopkins called the Experience Corps. It paid elderly people a little stipend to help tutor public school students. And as you might guess, child literacy went up. But the surprising part is that the elderly people had great improvements too. They had improved cognition, less physical disability than the control arm. This was a controlled experiment. Um, the control arm was people just volunteering at, at regular stuff like health fairs and festivals. So between the two, the tutors, 44% of them had increased strength. And in the control group, 30% of them said they lost strength. So that's a big gap. Yeah, it is. And I'm assuming that there were no more, there were no more in the control group that gained strength. So the, right. so the net, the net was a 30% loss as opposed to a 40% gain. Okay. Yeah. So big. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And these weren't people looking to do that. They're, this right. was a side effect. So it's fantastic. And now if you're looking to do it from the inside out, that can be, that takes introspection. That takes um, a little bit of time, but it doesn't take anyone else, right? When you're trying to work from the outside in, you got to find some other people and a slot to put yourself into. When you're working from the inside out, you can start by yourself. And if you're lonely, you might already be by yourself. So it's a good place. So the way you do that is you got to figure out a way of realizing everything that you have in common with someone else that we all have in common, right? We all take life and we end up having disappointments, regrets, uh, fears, aspirations, hopes. We all have that in common. When we can see that, and see it in ourselves and realize it's in other people, we can find commonalities, just to repeat this word I've been using, that'll let mm -hmm. us connect more easily. A lot of people have been wearing masks in multiple situations, right? If you go to your kid's school, you're wearing one mask. If you go to work, you're wearing another mask. When you're home with your family, maybe you're wearing another mask. Maybe you've taken well, a mask off. To clarify, yeah. in the setting of COVID, you mean metaphorical masks <laughs> and not literal masks? Because... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Absolutely. you were talking about literal masks. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, wait a second, you're not wearing a mask at home in most cases. And I don't know, maybe you are if you have COVID. <laughs> yeah. No, excellent question for clarification. Now, I'm talking about the kind of mask like in the movie The Mask with Jim Carrey, which is, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's a real old movie now that I think about that. It is very old. <laughs> yeah. But when we can see that commonality between people, it'll be easier to kind of uh, reach out to other people. And when you reach out to other people, there's reciprocation that can happen. If you think about it, we always reciprocate. If you hold open the door for the people behind you, they usually hold open the door for the people behind them. Mm -hmm. There are always stories about if you pay for the people behind you at Starbucks, they end up paying for the people behind them. Mm -hmm. And it goes yeah. on and on for 50 people till there's a, a lull in who shows up. Till you, so that one guy, till that one guy gets there, he's like, thanks, and just drives <laughs> off with his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really in a hurry. I forgot my wallet. Sorry. <laughs> well, but it's hard to do this. It can make logical sense, but it's hard to do that, especially if you're chronically lonely, because it's hard to see things clearly when you're lonely. Like we've talked about before, it distorts your whole interpretation of everything, including your own self. It's really mm -hmm. easy to get self-critical when you're lonely and say things like, oh, so I must be a terrible person because nobody wants to hang out with me. I've never done anything right because clearly I've screwed up this thing and that thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that vicious circle thing starts taking place where the loneliness begets more loneliness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the answer there is self-compassion. Another thing 
that at least in the Western world, and I want to say everywhere, is not something we do typically. Yeah, right? I don't think we, I don't. From what I understand, not that I'm a you know very culturally experienced person, but it doesn't seem like it's very common in most cultures. No, at least not industrialized cultures. Sure. But you would never talk to a close friend like this. You would never talk to your kid like this, right? Right. Yeah. If your kid falls down off a bike while they're learning to ride it, you don't run up and say, you are really bad at this. I think you should quit. You, I don't think you're ever going to get this. Father of the Year Award right there. <laughs> Stop now. You're making a fool of yourself. <laughs> right? So you wouldn't do that to a kid. You wouldn't say anything like that to a friend. Right? If you go ice skating with someone and the person you're skating with is new and they keep falling down, you don't go, you better get off the ice before you get cut. <laughs> if that was me, you can safely say that to me. You should probably <laughs> kick me off the ice before I get cut. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just give you extra thick gloves or something. That's fair. Yeah. But you need to build up that skill. We've always had that. Not always, but people seem to have that skill when they're talking to other people. It's a skill to talk to yourself that way and to realize uh, that it's not helpful to beat yourself up with a stick. Yeah. It doesn't get you anywhere. And then once you can do that, you can take the time to really go inside and figure out, all right, who the heck am I? And it sounds like a really cheesy question to ask, but it's an important question to ask, right? What do I actually like to do? Why do I like to do it? What am I actually afraid of? Why am I afraid of that? Uh, when I'm in a different situation, how do I act? Do I like stress? Do I like crowds? And maybe why do I like that? Where does this coming from? What kind of things do I value? And are those my values? Or is this what my parents made me value? And I don't really put any importance on that. Do I like to be super connected to people? Do I want to be in a crowd meeting new people every day? Or do I rather just maybe every other day? hang out with a couple of people, and that's plenty for me. And once yeah. we figured that out, that's the point where you can have real confidence in who you are, really knowing what you're like, and then you can go, okay, now I know this. Now I can work from the outside in as well and make some better decisions that way. Yeah, and discover, I guess, what the outside in things that you'd be good at would be beneficial for you are. Mm-hmm, Yeah. So it kind of feeds right into that. And there's this book that was out there by a researcher named Cassiopo, and he just came up with an algorithm, a plan, called it Ease, a four-step thing to do. And I like it so much, I'm just going to go over it here. But I did not come up with it. So the E is for extend yourself, or I like to say experiment. A is for action plan. S is for selection. And E again, and Ease, is expect the best. So you start with extending yourself or experimenting and starting small. You know, if you're chronically lonely, you're really disconnected, start with some eye contact. Maybe you see someone walking down the street. Yes, you should go outside and take walks. And then you give them a nod. And then maybe you're in line one day, socially distanced, but you're in line and you can start up some small talk and say, hey, it's a nice day, isn't it? And then maybe you're someplace that's even safer. Maybe you're volunteering someplace. Then it's going to be even safer to make conversation with people because nobody's mm -hmm. going to harass you. They're all there for the same reason. You're helping them out. Yeah, they might not thank you, but you're probably not going to get, uh, nobody's going to be mean to you. Yeah, it's kind of expected behavior there. Yeah. 
And so that can help you build up your confidence again and do even bigger experiments. And then you can say, okay, all right, I see I'm going, I'm making some progress. Let me come up with a real action plan. And I can see that I'm not helpless, right? I clearly have control over this situation. I did this thing and this positive thing happened. I did this other thing and this positive thing happened. So if you never do that, if you never take a risk, you might think of yourself as a screw up, right? But by proving to yourself with little experiments that things can go well, you can realize you're not a screw up. And the next time somebody says, hey, a nice job handing out those meals. Mm-hmm. And you, you won't have to think that they're being sarcastic and say, yeah, you know, sometimes I do do good things. Huh? I'm very good at this. And you can hear the sincerity and you can take that knowledge and decide what you're going to do with it, right? You can say, okay, now what's my next plan of action? Where am I going to extend myself? Where am I going to experiment next? And then out of all the people that you're meeting, one, two, 30, whoever, however many, you can select out of those people who you might want to make better relationships with. You can look at them and say, okay, now these people, we have similar interests. I know what my interests are now because I took a, a, some time and figured that out. We have similar interests. We have similar personality. Um, yeah, maybe I'll try to make gains with this person. I don't want to come on too strong because that would creep somebody out. And there goes that. I need to be able to read their cues, which is going to take practice, especially if you've been out of practice. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Experiment with one person, then the next person. And then you can choose the people that you think you're going to be successful with and avoid the people that might be just trying to exploit you. Because very sadly, uh, there's people going to be out there trying to take advantage. Yeah. It's really hard to get away from those people no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Let me ask this though. In the in Cassiopo's ease plan, is it specifically referring to volunteering and public service or is this, does he extend that to personal relationships as well, independent of volunteering? So in his plan, he speaks to any place where you can be of service and he names specifically volunteering, charities, things like that. Sure. Because in that scenario, I think the context is people who need to start from scratch. Yeah. And it's a good place to start. I'm not saying that that there's Mm no, you know, I think it's a great place to start. Actually, I was just curious if he meant for that to be extended beyond um, just volunteering, like, you know, just going to the supermarket and talking to somebody and then taking that and expanding it from there. Uh, Because obviously it's not really service unless you think that you're reaching out to somebody who looks like they're hurting or something, which is kind of a stretch. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Yeah. But it's the first part, extending yourself, experimenting. That does start with small talk, supermarket lines. Right. And then, Which then after, ex- yeah, that extends into more of a, a service type scenario. Yeah. Yeah. You phase. Okay, cool. Go in mm-hmm. phases. But, you know, if you're starting out with having some intact relationships that you're just trying to strengthen, especially mm-hmm. if our, after our conversation with Magna, I would say very clearly, yeah, being of service there is going to make progress. Yeah. That it's makes gonna sense. It's going to help tighten connections. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to have. If you're chronically lonely, it's kind of hard to have close connections anymore because loneliness screws us up Mm -hmm. in a variety of ways. I think we've covered before, but just to say it again, it it can do a few things. It can make us more demanding, right? For example, if I'm feeling lonely and I can still feel lonely, even though I'm married, I have a family because loneliness is an interpretation. So I'm feeling Mm -hmm. lonely and now I'm being demanding of my wife and I'm saying, ah, she's not contributing anything to making this household run without realizing you know, my perception 
is only of me. I'm only ever around when I'm doing things because I'm right. in me. So clearly, I know what I'm doing, but I may not be around. There's a bunch of stuff she's probably doing that I can't really appreciate. Mm-hmm. So the healthy thing to do is say, oh, wow, she's probably doing a lot of stuff I don't realize. Let me do a little bit more so I can pull my weight. Right. <laughs> or at least help her out. But when we're lonely, we, we don't get that. Instead, we go, hey, I'm not going to do the dishes. I already folded the freaking laundry. That's She can do that. And then you get into building walls, you become resentful, mm-hmm. and it's just, there's another negative cycle that's going on. Yeah, it's not hard to see how that happens when you put it in terms like that. I mean, that you could see like, you know, a thousand small little things turn into this, yeah, like you said, a wall. Uh, yeah, it's not hard to see how that how it happened. Yeah. And then you could also start overemphasizing all the negative stuff, just like you're alluding to. And mm-hmm. you have a good story. I don't remember who this was, but you have a good story about somebody and pie. Do you remember this? Uh, no, it's Nina's story. Um, oh. Yeah, but so her story is basically she was talking to someone and they were talking about their marriage, um, the other person's marriage, not not Nina and my marriage. So the I guess every night for dinner, this this couple would have pie and they were hitting a rut in their marriage where they were just having a hard time appreciating each other or for whatever reason they just weren't um doing as well as they previously had and not being there i can't tell you details but basically the story goes that nina said well why don't you try to acknowledge the little things that this person does for you in in the marriage and uh the next time that they met this person mentioned that every time that they were having their dessert after dinner the this person's spouse would cut the best or the biggest piece of pie and give it to that person and not take it for themselves. And it really made that person realize how much, or at least the the sacrifice that was being made and that somebody was doing something for, I think it was her. Um, But every time that her husband was was cutting the pie, she was getting the best piece. And she was like, well, you know, I I really appreciate that. I never really stopped to think about that before. Uh, So just recognizing even the little things, I think made a a big difference in, in their marriage. Yeah. And so... Luckily, we have some control over our interpretations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. That's, we can do that from the outside in by making this cognitive switch. We can do that from the inside out by changing, kind of bringing more of a mindful perspective to it and realizing that everything has multiple sides to it. Mm-hmm. But when we can change our interpretations and change where our focus is, can make a real lasting effect on how we interact with people. Yeah. And it's, you know, it can also help us not be so demanding of the people that are in our lives because what ends up happening when we're lonely, like we talked about previously, it used to be that people had at least three confidence, not confidence, confidants on average. Mm-hmm. And now it's one or none. What, right? I, thought there, so we've I put, thought there were like 12 in that question, if you remember. I think I... That was just you. You yeah, had me. 12 confidence. No, no. I thought everybody else did. <laughs> I'm no, aware now you. that that was kind of <laughs> ridiculous. It's fine. <laughs> you were just an extremely lucky person in life. Well I'm done just, for you. Apparently, I'm an optimist. Who knew? <laughs> huh. Good. And then, so now there's fewer people in our lives. And we have these nuclear families that have moved away from uh, extended family. So we're all kind of self-focused and everyone in the family has to take on more of a burden, more of a load for 
helping all the others in that family instead of it being a community where everybody was supporting each other and people had lots of other places to go to. So it can be kind of overwhelming yeah, for each member. And so if we can spread that out, if we can find more connections, more friends, don't cheat on anybody. But, you know, if you could spread out who you can talk to, right. it can lighten the load of the people you're with more and make for a better connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's actually, I'm terrible at that. After kids, we, my network just shrank ridiculously. And now I have this guilt about ever going out without my wife or kids. I've, I'm working on it. So well, I'm I mean, you can see, especially in our culture, though, it's a very kid centric way that we raise children now. Um, for better or for worse, I think there's some good and bad things that come with having no kids yet. I really can't speak to that, but it's something that I guess I've noticed. Uh, so, I mean, you could certainly see how that happens. It's not a, it's not a far leap at all. Yeah. And it's not like that in other places. Yeah. This is a very, this is one of the American ways of raising kids. Mm -hmm. Other places you'll go and like, yeah, where are the, where are the kids? Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's six. He can handle himself now. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would swear. I swear we brought him. God. <laughs> I guess he's in New York all along. <laughs> The uh, the original is better. All right. Yeah. Yeah, they're both good. They're both quality films. <laughs> That's true. I'll watch them both. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But if we, you know, if we get stuck, focused in this narrow group of people, that's not necessarily bad, but it could be, right? It, it can lead to us being withdrawn, lead to us getting passive, um, lead to more fights lead to that wall and it goes in a cycle. So even for people that are like you and have 12 confidants, there may still be a room for improvement or a room to just be aware of what might happen so you can keep things healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So does that all make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That all makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So just to summarize it again, you can work from the outside in, go be of service, figure out you know, how to extend yourself, experiment, make an action plan, select the people you want to focus on or the places you want to focus on, and expect the best, right? When you expect the best, you feel a little bit more approachable. If you were afraid, if you're frustrated, you can get self-absorbed in that. You can get demanding with that. You'll repel people. You, get, you push yourself into more of a survival mode where you're mm. going to accidentally rebuff people who might be reaching out to you. So expect the best. Yeah, I think expecting the best is important in... I mean, it's in anything that you do that you're trying to be better at or you're trying to improve, I think it's important. I mean, I think about a lot of the stuff back when I used to play sports. If you were, you know, if I, I work on a component of my swing playing baseball for, you know, all, all the off season, I'm trying to change something, whatever. And then you go to play and that's all you're thinking about is, okay, you worked on this. Don't strike out. Don't strike out. So all you're going to do is put the ball. You're going to strike out or you're going to have a bad at bat. But if you're up there and you're like, listen, like, I worked really hard. I'm the best. There's no way that I'm not going to, you know, drive a ball in the gap right now. You're going to have a much better at bat. So the expectation that you're going to fail is going to lead you to fail. And I think that it's probably true in most endeavors, not just athletic ones, I would imagine. Yeah. It's like that um, reminds me of that Henry Ford quote that I, I'm about to screw up. But essentially, <laughs> whether you think you'll be successful or whether you think you'll fail, you're right. Yeah. That's probably pretty cool. I don't know the quote. I mean, I know of the something similar to that, but that's, that sounds about right. 
I feel like I got 60% there. I mean, least. that was at least reasonable. It didn't sound like something that <laughs> somebody would say and somebody else would go, you know, you messed that up. <laughs> Until you look it up. Nobody look it up. All right. Yeah, right. We'll just accept it for what it's worth. All right. Anything else you want to add on as far as um, hard steps that people can take to improve their abilities to connect? I don't think so. I think that was one of the important ones is expecting. I mean, the the end of that expecting the best, I think, is important and expecting not to fail and not worrying about looking stupid or dumb or whatever. I think that's just part of changing something and extending yourself in a way that you're not used to. So I think that's a really good bit of advice. Oh, that's that's a really good point because, you know, expect the best. But if you're not good at something, you're probably going to not be good at it. Right. For a while. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get better. Yeah. And then you'll get even better. Yeah. And if you look stupid in front of somebody that you've never met before and you're never going to meet again, who cares? Yeah. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Take that quote down. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) If only we could be, uh, we could all look at life that detached. Because, you know, what's the impact of that? Probably very little. What's the impact it feels like in the moment? Huge. It's not. Life moves on. Yeah. Feels like your world's ending at the time, but it's really not. Yeah. So that's it for Zach and I. Remember, we're at CPRHealthClinic.com, where we offer one-on-one customized health plans, health coaching, and disease reversal and prevention. That's what this podcast is about. We're teaching you here the pillars of how to take control of your health. And remember, if you have a chance... Give us a five-star rating for our podcast. It helps us to reach out to the other members of the community. Until next time, remember, the way you live can save your life.